hello, this is WWE Hall of Famer, Paul Bear, and my Undertaker may not be here, but hosting this show is the Perch Correspondent, Justin Rogato, and he's joined by the adorable one, Alex Todd. My Undertaker may not be here, but he's here in spirit. And you're listening to Birch on the Top Rope! Oh, The following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perched on the Top Rope. I am the adorable one, Alex Todd. And tonight, as you just heard, we have the Perch correspondent, Justin Largitoe, hosting the show. Justin, I know we got some topics to talk about. I'm going to let you take the floor, my man. Okay, yeah. So, uh, big topic last week. We had, obviously, the, I wouldn't say it was the worst cash in of all time. I made that clear last week, but... You absolutely thought it was the worst cash in. No, I said I said second out. to worst. We argued. Okay, you yeah. said Sandow. Yeah, neither of us thought it was the worst. We both thought it was around the second or third worst. Yeah, okay, Sandow is still the worst for me. You picked Baron Corbin, yes. which, like, I understand where you came from. I just still think Sandow got the raw stand out of everybody else. Right, but uh, to come back to that, uh, we saw what they did with Theory this past Monday, and I have noticed there's been quite a few changes with his character as of late. You know, he's kind of growing the facial hair out. He, he He's not taking selfies. He's not coming out with the phone. He's showing off his physique a lot more. He's not wearing the vest when he comes out. And, you know, he cut a promo kind of explaining why he did what he did in a backstage segment with Kathy Kelly. And he said, you know, I, ca- I can't cash in on Roman Reigns. I couldn't cash in on Roman Reigns. Every time either Brock Lesnar is there or Tyson Fury is there. And, and then the bloodlines there. And if the bloodlines there, then somebody else is there. So he can't, he can never cash in on Roman Reigns. So on that night, he decided, Hey, let me go after the U S title. I still don't think it makes any fucking sense, but Hey, we'll go with it. Uh, then he was kind of explaining that people kind of really don't know, understand the pressure that he's under. You know, he was Vince McMahon's handpicked, future of the company at one point he was the united states champion won money in the bank youngest u.s champion youngest mr money in the bank winner uh and then he proceeded on to be interrupted by dolph ziggler they had a match theory pretty much had him finished at one point but he decided to just continuously kick the shit out of dolph ziggler because he's a rag doll these days and you know that wasn't it seth rollins faced finn balor in the main event retained the u.s championship and Fury came out again, and he attacked Rollins. Uh, show ended with Austin Fury standing tall. So they are taking Austin Fury in another direction. I think they bounced back probably the best possible way they could coming out of last week. Uh, I don't know where they're going to go with him. I don't know if they're going to completely change up his character, or they're just kind of giving him more of an edge. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I Like I said, I hope it works out for him, because... 
that cash in just really didn't do him any favors. They definitely have done away with the selfie gimmick, at least. That portion of his gimmick is very clearly gone. He's going in more of a serious direction. And you and I both agreed on the show last week that this was really the only way they could go with Theory after what happened with the cash in. It was either he was going to flounder into obscurity or he was. they were going to have to come back. They were going to have to come with an explanation and they were going to have to be ready to book this going forward. And it looks like that's exactly what Triple H did. I know we bitched about this throughout the entire almost first half of the show last week but this seems to have been the best direction they could have gone and i'm glad that they want this direction because now it feels like theory's not going to go to the bottom of the card this is actually going to be like more of his rock bottom i'm only going up from here and really there's only the only way to go for him now is going up it's kind of similar to an extent of what they did with becky lynch last summer when she lost and then kind of went nuts and was like i'm a rock bottom and beat the hell out of everybody and worked herself right back up to the top. So um, this is absolutely a, a smart move. I also like what they did in the backstage segment when he, when theory was talking about how people don't understand the pressure he's under because he was handpicked by Vince McMahon to essentially be, um, you know, no pun intended, the chosen one. And the reason I say the chosen one is because they did a good job of booking him out of the position that a 2009 Drew McIntyre was in. That gimmick basically killed Drew McIntyre being the chosen one because obviously he was too young at the time to really, you know, he didn't have experience behind him in the promo department, in the wrestling department, um, and that kind of hindered him. So I like that they they basically booked Theory out of that same predicament that Drew McIntyre was in about 10 years ago. So uh, kudos to them on what they did with Theory. And we also have a little surprise for all of you. Justin and I are not the only ones currently hiding in this little uh, this little chat we got going on. Ladies and gentlemen, the former Dirt Sheet writer, Lee Walker, is with us as well. He uh, He's not hosting tonight. You know, Lee's had some stuff going on, but he wanted to come on and just kind of give his thoughts on some things. So, Lee, I want to hear what your thoughts are regarding the Austin Theory situation. So, I, I did read that they are giving him a complete overhaul change in character and that him cashing in wasn't necessarily a demotion but more of, yeah, they're changing the character. I personally think it was the worst cash-in ever because, let's be honest, Seth Rollins offers an open challenge. He could have very easily just challenged for that championship this week and taken the open challenge, but it is what it is. Well, Justin and I had actually even said he could have taken the challenge last week because after Lashley had like, destroyed everybody, the bell never rang. The open challenge yeah. was still there. He could have accepted it right then and there and still had the same match without cashing in money in the bank. Yeah. So, uh, you know, us smart fans, you know, look at stuff like that and, you know, don't look past it. And, you know, we're three that happen to pay attention. I still think it's the worst cash in. Uh, you know, I know that there's others, but this was hands down the worst. Uh, as far as everything with Austin Theory, he's 23 years old. We're not done seeing him, clearly, and I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. No, not at all, um, and I think this was a good step. Even if this is not him going up to the main event and this is just him 
kind of being repackaged going forward. It's a good spot for him to be in. He has a lot more wiggle room now. I've said a lot of times, unless you're, I feel like sometimes, unless you're a top star in today's WWE, holding the money in the bank briefcase can almost be a curse. I mean, and it's been like that for a while because they have the money in the bank win or lose consistently, which hopefully is something we see change in the Triple H era going forward. But the money in the bank briefcase is sometimes more of a curse than a blessing. So having him get rid of that briefcase, even though he didn't win, it might have been the best thing that could have happened for him. Yeah, we'll see, because we, we really don't even know the future of Money in the Bank at this point. If it's going to be done away with as a pay-per-view, or if it's going to be brought back to WrestleMania next year. So, we're still waiting to see what the future of that is. I said last week, I think they should take a break from Money in the Bank for a little while, just because it feels like it's been so oversaturated the past couple of years. Between multiple people cashing in that same night every pay-per-view every year, or people just continually losing, I think take a break from it for a little while. Think of some booking to get yourself behind it with whatever person you're going to have planned on winning. And and also, if they take a break from it for a little while, whether that's waiting until WrestleMania or whatever, that also gives you time to get the world title off of Roman Reigns. So that way you don't have to have somebody holding a Money in the Bank briefcase that you know that they're not going to beat Roman. Right. And that, that's kind of what I was going to just about to say, too. You know, if they plan on keeping the title on Roman Reigns for another year or two, uh, you know, that money in the bank, it, it's going to be a failure every single time. Right. That's it's, it's, un- it. it's almost useless at that point. So I, I think wait. I feel like have your next planned winner have a plan for them, have it be after Roman Reigns has lost the title that are on somebody else and then book it forward from there. Because I mean, even, even as a, if I'm looking at this from a casual fan standpoint, if I'm a casual fan, I really don't want to see the money in the bank winner be the person that ends Roman's title reign either. Like that is a WrestleMania worthy moment. That's got to happen at WrestleMania. That's the only place I see fit for Roman Reigns title to, for him to lose the title. And also, the other thing is, too, is there's really only two people that everybody believes can kind of beat Roman at this point. It, it, one is Cody Rhodes, basically, because the match hasn't happened yet. And they're supposedly booking him huge when he comes back. And then the other one's The Rock. So basically, if, if, if Roman's the champion and someone has the money in the bank briefcase and you're not one of those two people, writing's kind of on the wall. Well, I, I did believe Drew McIntyre could have beat Roman Reigns for the title, but they... I did. But now that he hasn't, he's kind of off the table. Oh no! Like... Now it's completely off the table after Clash of the Castle. It, yeah, that... if you're not going to have him win in his home country, nah, he's it's not. He's not going to beat Roman. Right. I'm not saying he's not going to be champion again because that's obviously not true. But he's not. If they didn't have him win at Clash in the Castle, he's not going to be the guy to take it off of him. Yeah, absolutely not. The only other dark horse I could see is maybe Sami Zayn, but I I almost think that's a little too much. It's, it's a stretch. I I wouldn't mind it if they personally went with that, but I just don't see them going with it. And and you have a lot of booking that you basically would have had to start now in order to get to that by the time WrestleMania comes around. I I think I personally think I know who's who's winning the title from him. I I. I think it's going to be The Rock, and then I think they're going to have The Rock lose the titles very shortly after. You see, man, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't have The Rock beat Roman just because you know he's not going to be there for a long-term story. It, you know, I just feel like the person who beats Roman should have a long reign coming out of that. I don't think they should just lose the titles like almost immediately. 
Right, but they could also be thinking Roman's been holding the titles for almost two years. He loses it. We don't want someone with a super long reign because we just came out of a super long reign. The other idea that I like is the idea of Cody Rhodes winning the Royal Rumble. He challenges Roman on night one. Rocky costs him the match, and then we have Rock Roman night two. Yeah, I don't know. There there could be a way to work two main events in, seeing as Mania is two nights. But personally, if I'm booking Rock and Roman, I don't even want the titles on the line. Yeah, I think it does better for both men if the titles aren't on the line. But I mean, like I said, though, I feel like it comes down to Cody or The Rock at this point. Right. There's there's nobody else left. But we'll see. It, we're in a very a new era, a new Triple H run era, a new um, era come WrestleMania season. But speaking of new, we also had a new match type announced on NXT this week. Justin, you want to go over that a little bit with us? Yes, so it came out Wednesday that the trademark was filed for WB, uh, the term, or the trademark, I should say, uh, the Iron Survivor Challenge. Uh, This was later explained on NXT this past week by Shawn Michaels. So I watched the, uh, the video explaining it. The best way I can describe it is imagine the old championship scramble matches, an Iron Man match, and a King of, Ma- King of the Mountain match, and it had a fucking baby. So it's a 25-minute time limit. I believe there are five competitors in the match, and they're going to do a match with the women and the men at NXT deadline on December 10th. Uh, so five competitors. Starts with two. Every five minutes, a new competitor comes out. Uh, with every pinfall or submission, you earn a point, as you would in an Ironman match. Uh, whoever is pinned or taps out will then go into a penalty box. I don't remember how long they said they'd be in the penalty box for. I, I'd probably guess two minutes. I think it was like two or three minutes, something like that. Yeah, it can't be that long if there's somebody coming out every five minutes for a 25-minute time limit. But, uh, yeah, and then the person at the at the end with the most points will be declared the winner. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh this is a lot like those championship scramble matches like I was talking about that they only did like four times. So I don't know if they said anything was on the line in these. I would imagine. You know, I believe it is the, the winners, I think, get title matches. They would have to. That just makes the most sense. Yeah, I don't think it's for the championship. I believe if I'm correct, if I remember correctly, I think it's the winners get shots of both the NXT championship and the NXT women's championship. Yeah, they haven't announced the championship matches, but I don't, I don't think these are going to be for the titles. No. Uh, I personally, I love the idea of the match. It sounds cool. It doesn't sound super overcomplicated, the way Shawn Michaels was able to explain it. Um, right. I, I I prefer when either authority figures or superstars actually sit down in promos and explain these new match types, because sometimes when the commentators do it and they do it on air or they do like on a show when it's explained and then they do it again during the pay-per-view, I feel like commentators are always in such a, like we have to get through everything that we have to talk about that the explanation of these new matches get explained so quickly that we don't really have time to adjust yeah, imagine Excalibur explaining these rules. You'd have a fucking him <sighs> sitting there. Exactly. And so Sean was able to explain it slowly. I love the idea of it. And by God, I hope this fucking match ends up in the next 2K game. Because this could be a really fun match to play in 2K. Right. 
However, I mean, they did put the championship scramble matches in the old WB games. So I know, I know, it's Lee's favorite match ever, and he'll tell everybody that'll listen about it. He wants the scramble match to come back so bad. Bring it back! It was <laughs> the greatest freaking mode in WWE 2K12, and yeah, like the match that they've had themselves in WWE, they've been all right. But when you play it in the video game, just bring them, just bring the match mode back. It, it was it was chaos and it was great. By the way, yes. Lee, WWE 12 wasn't a 2K game yet. Get your shit together. It was THQ, but it was also the one that went into uh, it was 12 and then 13 and then 14 was where 2K started. All right. Well, THQ did something right that 2K can't do. Yeah, clearly. But I think this could be a really fun match to play if they put it in the 2K games. Um, I did notice the one thing that Lance Storm actually brought up on Twitter that kind of took to my attention is that they have to book this match correctly because you could get into a spot where there are too many time clocks running at the same time. Uh, like he He gave an example. He's like, well, what if... So say you have two people in. So it's two people, one person, one of the people gets pinned, right? He goes into the penalty box, but when he gets pinned, it's like four minutes into the match, right? So he, he gets pinned. He's in the in the penalty box for two minutes, and there's that clock that's running down for him. But then you're also getting to the point where the next person's supposed to come in, and there's going to be a clock running down for them. So then you get... You get like say four people in the match, and you have pe- two people pinned at the same time. You could have you could run into an issue where there's like multiple clocks going at the same time, and if they're all up on screen, it could confuse the fans. So he said the one thing is is they gotta they definitely have to make sure that they book that right. He also said that instead of there being a penalty, that maybe they should just lose a point if they get pinned. I, I understand where he was coming from because it could be confusing if there's too many clocks running down on screen all at the same time. I kind of get that point too. I think probably the best way to do it in a scenario like that is maybe put the 25 minute time limit countdown on the screen for the viewers at home and then put the, you know, maybe the 10 second countdown for the next entrant coming out on the, on the Titan Tron that they have in the performance center. Yeah. I'm sure they'll figure out a way to produce it because if, if nothing else, WWE is top tier when it comes to production of any, any company out there. So I, I don't, foresee it being too much of an issue because they usually got their shit together when it comes to production however if this was like impact or AEW doing this i feel like there'd be clocks all over the fucking place and we wouldn't know what's going on but i'm excited for the match personally um i'm not going to go into predictions yet because we'll save that for our nxt deadline prediction show there's no reason to go into it right now but overall first reaction i i'm excited for it yeah, as long as they put the right people in it and everyone works well together, I think it'll it'll be a success. Yes, I agree. Moving on, we also have the AEW Full Gear Predictions. Justin, I'm going to let you jump into a little bit of this first because you were at AEW Dynamite this past Wednesday night, as you are basically every week at this point. What was I'll it be like? SmackDown Full Gear and Raw this week too, so catch me there. Of course you will be. What was it like on the Go Home Show for AEW Full Gear? 
Uh, overall, I thought it was an enjoyable show. It definitely got my excitement up for the pay-per-view on Saturday or Sunday, as Pac and John Moxley were saying in their promos. Nobody knows what fucking day this pay-per-view is on anymore. I love the way that Moxley said it on camera, though, because instead of flubbering over his words like someone in WWE would, he's just like, what, what fucking day is this show on? Saturday, Sunday? Uh, Saturday. All right. And the way he did it, the fans just laughed and went along with it. Nobody like really shit on it because they're like, fuck, he doesn't know just like the rest of us. He's one of us. Right. You could just you hear me yelling in the crowd. It's Saturday. <laughs> I got to go back and listen to see if I can hear you. <laughs> But, but uh, uh, yeah, it was overall it was a fun show. As you saw in the video I sent you in the group chat, the attendance was not there at all, uh, which is unfortunate to see, you know, looking at old AEW events. Yeah, luckily you weren't correct when you told me that you thought it was the hard cam side that was empty because then I went and watched it on TV. It was the opposite side, luckily. Right. And I, I bet you I, I, the that the stadium uh, management probably moved a shit ton of people that were originally seated on the other side over to the hard cam side. So here's the thing, man. I looked at the screenshot of the seating map after the show and it looks like the hard cam side was originally where all the seats were sold. So they literally had to have just moved everyone over. Oh yeah. They probably saw what attendance was and saw where most people, my guess, they probably saw what attendance was going to look like. They knew like earlier in the day before everybody got there, they looked and saw where most people got seats, probably saw that it was on that other side. And that's probably when they decided, hey, we're just going to move all these people over to the other side. Right. And, you know, a bunch of people in my row just kind of scattered around the arena because they're like, hey, I'm going to just take a fucking row to myself. Yeah. Well, and it's not just AEW that's having that issue. We've seen it with Raw occasionally, too. I, I've noticed out of all the weekly shows, SmackDown usually tends to have the best attendance out of anybody, any show. But, like, it makes sense. SmackDown's the beginning of the weekend. People don't have to work. People don't have school the next day. You run that issue with running shows during the week when you've got people that bring families, people that have jobs. People are going to have to work the next day, so they don't want to be there super late. And, look, I'm not trying to make excuses for AEW. They've ran the Northeast a lot this year. You know, they had Grand Slam. They had Boston last week. They had Bridgeport, Connecticut uh, this past week. They're running two shows in New Jersey this week, and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, may have just said, hey, you know, let's just go to fucking full gear. I mean, screw this dynamite. But like I said, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm trying. I'm just trying to, you know, kind of put myself in somebody else's shoes who is saying, hey, let's just go to the pay-per-view instead. Well, and you probably run into a lot of people in your situation, too, where any, anything that's like up in the Northeast, a lot of people, a lot of the same people will go to those shows. Like, you go to a lot of them that are anywhere near the Northeast, like, basically, like, Massachusetts and up. Right. So there's, you're, I guarantee you're not the only person that does that. There, I mean, there's, look. There's look, problems. So, there, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I just want to point out, like, the Northeast has been just so oversaturated with wrestling just these last two months. You know, if you really think about it, we've had AEW back-to-back weeks. We've had Impact here. We're having Raw. We're having SmackDown. Survivor Series in Boston, Full Gears in New Jersey. You know, it's just, it's all over the place. Yeah, and and you're going to get that. Like, you're going to have people that go to so many of these shows that either, one, they're not going to have the extra money to continue going to shows because they've been going to so many. Or, you know, some people not are not exactly burnt out, but they're going to be like, well, I went to this and that. I think I'm just going to take a break from a little bit because a lot of this is going to entail a lot of driving for people. Right. 
So I don't think it's really a reflection on the product itself. It's just, there's a lot of factors that come, there's a lot of human factors that come into play. Yeah, there's just a lot going on, especially this month when you have two big shows like Survivor Series and Full Gear happening exactly. very close to each other. Exactly. And and I so I think it's a combination of that and and specifically when Monday Night Raw and AEW Dynamite air, because like I said, those two shows tend to have the biggest problem when it comes to it. And a lot of it has to do with the placement of where they are during the week. I mean, look, I mean, full gear, I looked at the seating chart on that and just to see what was left. And, you know, that's just about sold out. I mm-hmm. mean, first tri-state area AEW pay-per-view. I mean, Rampage, I can't say the same thing. It doesn't look like that's doing very good, but that's Rampage. Well, but... here's the thing. People just don't go live to TV shows as much anymore. They save their money up for the big pay-per-view matches because that's when, or the big pay-per-views themselves, because they know that's when a lot of these biggest surprises are going to happen and when the biggest moments are going to happen. And you think, if I have an allotted amount of money, am I going to spend the money on going to a TV show where something may happen? Or am I going to spend that money on a pay-per-view where I know there's a better and bigger chance of something happening? Right. It's like a few, a few, uh, or no, this was last year, actually. I'm sorry. So WB returned back to Albany, New York for a house show last year. This was their first show here, you know, in the, after the pandemic and everything. And just as they started running shows with fans again. Now, here's the thing. The attendance wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great for a house show. When you really think about it, the next day they were running Raw at the TD Garden in Boston, and two days before they ran SmackDown at Madison Square Garden. I had been to all three shows, but somebody who's not at the standpoint that I'm looking at things at, you know, imagine, oh, why would we go to this house show in Albany, New York, when we can go to fucking Madison Square Garden and go see SmackDown, or we can go to Raw that had a fucking Money in the Bank cash-in, it ended up being in Boston at the TD garden. And the price isn't that much different either. You're looking at spending maybe another 40, 50 bucks. Right. Exactly. And cow show tickets really aren't super cheap either. I mean, they're, they're cheaper than TV shows, but like if you spend like another 40, 50 bucks, you get a ticket to Monday night, raw or Friday night Smackdown. Yeah. Cause I remember saying in my seat, I'm like, I guarantee everyone who's not at the show was literally at Madison square garden two nights ago, or is going to raw tomorrow in Boston. Yeah, I mean, house shows just aren't the same as they used to be. And also, you don't have, with WWE specifically, you don't have the added and surprise element anymore. There used to be times back in the day where titles would change at house shows. We saw the Miz and Morrison win the World Tag Team titles at a house show once. We've seen titles change at house shows in the past, and it kind of gave people to con- a reason to continue going to house shows. But, I mean, there's just, there's not necessarily a reason for that anymore. Same thing with the dark matches. I went to Raw four or five years ago i don't i don't remember it might have been a little longer ago but this was the it was the monday night raw where after the show went off the air uh rusev actually won the united states championship back from sheamus and it was during a dark match that happened after all you don't see that on house shows anymore or dark matches right i remember that so that it it makes sense i get it i understand why people don't want to go and really i don't think I personally think that WWE should pull like AEW and I think they should pull away from doing house shows because I really don't think they need them anymore. They probably needed them back in the day when they didn't have a network and whatnot and they didn't have as great of these deals that they have with USA and Fox, but I really don't think that WWE needs house shows anymore. Well, here's the thing. From what I heard, AEW and Tony Khan, they want to start running house shows and that was (laughs) the reason for bringing Jeff Jarrett in. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like in 2022, house shows aren't really a necessary thing in pro wrestling anymore. Yeah, they said they were going to tone it down with them, and then they just said, yeah, no, never mind. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's something, yes, it brings some more revenue in and brings some more merch sales in, but it's not really affecting your front line like the TVs and the pay-per-views do. So my personal opinion, I don't, I really don't think we need house shows anymore, but who am I to say? I, I understand the point of house shows where the poor, you know, you have this untelevised show where you can try new things, you can test out new characters. It works from that standpoint, but at the same time, it's just... But you you also have a performance center and NXT for those same reasons that you can do that. Now you you send main roster people down to NXT. You those can serve a purpose and actually put people on television to see if they like it or not. And with NXT's sake, if you put someone down there and change their character and the fans don't like it, it's easy to just take them off, send them back to the main roster, and have them continue doing what they were doing. Yeah, I, I get that. But back to what we were talking about, we were getting into full gear, and we have the. Perched on the top rope, AEW full gear predictions, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to start with the pre-show. This thing makes no fucking sense to me. Justin and I were talking about this before, and this is like the one only main problem I really have with this pay-per-view, and it's the pre-show match. In the pre-show, we have Brian Cage taking on either Lance Archer or Ricky Starks in the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament semi finals and i said that right semi-finals so lance archer faces ricky starks on rampage tonight and we see whether or not archer or starks is going on to the semi-finals to face brian cage but here's my question the whole point of this eliminator tournament series was that it was supposed to be the full gear eliminator tournament series why are we having the semi-final match on the pre-show of the card but the actual finals are not taking place on this pay-per-view. Yeah, like, I understand they did the whole angle with Lance Archer and Ricky Starks last week. And, you know, that put... Because they were originally going to do the match on Rampage last week in Boston, but then they pushed it back. So, you know, me thinking, I figured they were going to do the match on Dynamite so they could do Ethan Page and Bandito and then Ricky Starks, Lance Archer, and then do Brian Cage and the winner of Archer and Ricky at at Rampage in New Jersey, then do the finals at the pay-per-view. Right. But apparently that's not the route they're going. And I just found that out before we started the show. I don't know why they're doing it that way. It just doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, I mean, do whatever you want to do. At this point, just take the semifinals match off and just finish the whole thing on TV. There, there's not really, like, I don't understand the point of having a semifinal match at a pay-per-view. Yeah. They, like, they should have had this taken care of by now. Yeah, I don't know if there's some kind of injury to Ricky Starks. I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, they're, they're going to have Ethan Page and the firm do a run-in in the main event, and they don't want him doing anything else on the show. Or, I, or that maybe Ethan Page is even hurt, and so they, he couldn't wrestle on the show. Yeah, who knows? But, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to this pre-show, I think Ricky Starks is going to beat Lance Archer on Rampage, and then we'll have Ricky Starks defeat Brian Cage as well. That that The only final in this tournament I see that makes sense is Ethan Page and Ricky Starks, and Ethan Page has already advanced to the finals. So I would have said that Lance Archer would have been a nice addition to the finals because they've completely botched his booking the entire time he's been in AEW. But with Ethan Page taking one of the final spots, there's no rhyme or reason that we should be doing a heel-heel match in the finals of the tournament, which the only other babyface we have left then in that case is, is Ricky Starks because it's Brian Cage, it's Lance Archer, Ricky Starks. They're not going to have Brian Cage or Lance Archer face Ethan Page. So Ricky Starks is 100% going to win on Rampage tonight. And 
it's going to be Ricky Starks versus Ethan Page for the finals. Uh, Ricky Starks is going to first face Brian Cage in the semifinal match on the pre-show, and I just said it, my prediction is Ricky Starks. And I'll say it right now, my prediction is Ricky Starks to win this whole fucking tournament. I mean, we know the, we know the winner of this is getting their title match at Winner is Coming in December. That's fair, and if you know, if I think it all depends also too on which way the main event goes, and we'll get into that a little later on because it's it depends on who wins the AEW World Championship at this pay per view or who retains. So I'll get to that a little further on. But we also have on the main card we have a triple threat match for the AEW TNT Championship. Warjo is no more. They will be facing each other in a triple threat match along with Powerhouse Hobbs. You heard me right. Wardlow, Samoa Joe, and Powerhouse Hobbs in a triple threat match for the AEW TNT Championship. I got to say, this TNT Championship run from Wardlow has been lackluster at best, and it's not his fault. Again, this runs into the same issue I've told you guys that I've had with the way that they booked Hangman Adam Page's AEW World Championship run when he held the title. It's almost like with AEW, if your name isn't John Moxley or CM Punk, they don't know how to treat champions in this company. Dude, I don't know what the fuck happened with this TNT title this year. It's just been a disaster through everything since the start of the year. Yeah. Uh, like the TNT, I personally, I think ever since Cody left, they haven't known what to do with the TNT championship because that whole division was based around Cody Rhodes for so long that he left, and then it's just been like, what the fuck ever since? I, I mean, the booking of Wardlow right now, it's it's still not as bad as, you know, the Scorpio Sky, Sammy, Z- Sammy Guevara, I was going to say Sammy Zayn, Jesus Christ, uh, Scorpio Sky, Sammy Guevara angle from this year. That was just terrible for that title all, all around. Yeah, it was. I mean, Wardlow's still winning, so he's not really losing anything, but, like, he had picture-perfect booking right up until this championship win, and... Now we don't see much of him anymore. He was the hottest superstar in the company. We did like a whole show on this earlier this year about how Wardlow was going to be the future of AEW. And man, that company knows how to just fucking take people's momentum away. Yeah. And it's weird because it does feel like he is featured at some point throughout the week, whether it's Dynamite or Rampage. But it still also feels like he's not featured enough or he's not featured the way he should be. Yeah, he's not featured in a major way like he has been. Right. It's it's like a presentation. They don't give them the presentation and production that they were before. Yeah, like I look at Wardlow now and I don't look at him like, oh my God, this guy's going to be a world champion within like the next year and a half, two years. It it just doesn't feel that way anymore like it did even like six months ago. No, I just feel bad for him, honestly. Right. So what do you think? Do you think he keeps the AEW TNT championship and continues this reign? Or do you think it's time we move on to somebody else and then maybe have him go back to being the underdog fighting for the title again? So I'll say this. I'm really excited for this match. I, I definitely wanted to see uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and uh, Wardlow go at it. I mentioned that a few months ago. And Samoa Joe in there will just make it better, I feel like. Uh, three big meaty men slapping meat, and I, I can't wait for it. But with big think, meaty claws. Oh yes, give it all to me, all the meat. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think we're gonna get a new, a new TNT champion here. I think it's gonna be powerhouse, powerhouse Hobbs, new TNT champion. Honestly, Justin, I'm going the same route. I think powerhouse Hobbs would be a great TNT champion, and I think you can even keep Wardlow in the title picture, and you could create a solid 
feud between the two of them. What I do like about this match, though, with the addition of Samoa Joe and the promo that he cut on Dynamite this week, it doesn't necessarily look like they're going full heel mode with Samoa Joe. It just looks like they're kind of giving him like this neutral badass character that we all know he really is. You know, he doesn't like everybody. You know, he doesn't like all the baby faces. He doesn't like all the heels. He'll challenge anybody that wants to fight to a fight. I get his, I actually understand his logic by why he turned on Wardlow. It He made it make sense in a way that only Samoa Joe can, because not only is he a force of nature and a force of destruction, but he's also very intelligent when he comes to his promos and how he explains things. So I like that he's kind of the tweener in the heel because Wardlow is obviously the full-blown baby face. Powerhouse is obviously the full-blown heel. I like that we have Samoa Joe right in the middle, and I'm fucking excited for this match. Yeah, do you think, and I don't know how you would feel about this, do you think this leads to, because we have the Ring of Honor final battle pay-per-view in a few weeks, uh, do we? Do you think this leads to an ROH TV title program with Samoa Joe and Wardlow going into that pay-per-view? Absolutely, because that'll sell that card as well. I think you could argue that, you know, Samoa Joe's mind games and all this shit that he's done with Wardlow costs him this match because, you know, his friend turned on him and this and that, and Powerhouse wins the title. You have these two move on to final battle, and then you have maybe whoever wins go after Wardlow. I mean, not Wardlow, excuse me. You have them go after Powerhouse Hobbs afterwards. Do you, do you think they're going to put the Ring of Honor Television Championship on Wardlow? Personally, I wouldn't. I think it'd be a bad move. I do too, because then I think, not because I think Wardlow would be a bad representation of the championship, but I think you're sending too much of a signal that we're just going to put Ring of Honor titles on AEW guys. Right. That's kind of how I'm looking at it. I don't think it really fits. No. And he's not like, at least with some of these Ring of Honor title matches that we're having, it's guys that are included that are in AEW, but have dabbled their feet in Ring of Honor throughout the past. So right. I, I don't think that works as much, but I think I think a, a match between them would do good. You could even have Powerhouse Hobbs interfere. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely works. I mean, I'm sure the, the Joe and Wardlow are going to have a singles match at some point, so it only makes sense to do it at Final Battle. Well, it would be a good start, too, because I, I feel like it, the closer we get to Ring of Honor possibly getting their own television product under the AEW banner, I think we're going to slowly... We're starting to already see it with the Ring of Honor World Championship picture. I think you're slowly going to see this turn into an AEW versus Ring of Honor feud, which will, I think, help eventually bolster that new Ring of Honor product in. I really think that's the only way you can actually do some good booking to get the Ring of Honor television show off the ground again once it eventually comes. So, you know, I, I think having Wardlow and Samoa Joe go into it is a good idea. I think as far as the Ring of Honor World Championship, I like that you have Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara from the AEW side, but you also have Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson who have dabbled their feet and toes in Ring of Honor throughout the past as well. I think you're going to start seeing that with a lot of the Ring of Honor championships too. Yeah, and you know, when this weekly ROH TV show does get off the ground, Anyone who thinks like there's not going to be any kind of AEW crossover with Ring of Honor is just out of their mind. You know, it's like what WWE is doing with the main roster in NXT right now, just to get eyes on the NXT product. It's the same situation just with Ring of Honor and AEW. Yeah, absolutely, because I think there's probably a decent amount of Ring of Honor's actual fan base from before AEW bought them that 
has probably said, fuck this. I don't, I, this is different. I'm, I don't like change. I don't want to watch this. So you've got a whole AEW crowd that you have to get over on this product. And what better way to do it than have AEW talent show up and do ring of honor stuff. Right. That being said that we both believe the powerhouse Hobbs is winning. Cool. We have next the six man tag team match for the AEW trios world championships. We have death triangle Pac. Penta El Cerro Miedo, also known as Pentagon Jr., and Ray Phoenix, or Phoenix, however Excalibur likes to say it, taking on a few faces that we may know, a few returning faces. It appears that the Elite is making their way back to AEW after weeks of these little vignettes and promos of the a- of the Elite being erased from AEW's history. The clock, the gears finally timed out. And it was shown on AEW Dynamite that Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are returning to hopefully try to reclaim their AEW World Trios championships against the Death Triangle. Justin, your thoughts on the Elite returning finally after this whole press conference thing that happened a couple months back? And your thoughts on who do you think's winning? Okay, yeah. So we all knew the Elite were going to come back at some point. It was a matter of we really just didn't know when. We didn't know the severity of it. You know, a lot of legal stuff with this whole situation that happened at, at the All Out Media Scrum. But I'm happy to see them back. I think it will do it will help the television product as a whole now that you have, you know, three big names back, one in the tag team division and then or excuse me, one in the singles division, one in the tag team or two in the tag team division. But I this is gonna be a great fucking match, man. You know, we've seen what Pac and Kenny Omega can do in singles competition. We've seen what the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks could do in tag team competition, and here you're just putting it all together. You know, it's going to be insane. Uh, overall, I think they're just going to pick up where they left off, and we're going to get Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks with the trios titles again. Uh, Def Triangle's done a great job, you know, kind of making the best of the shitty situation that happened at All Out. Pac held the two titles for a bit, the All-Atlantic title and the trios championship. But we've also been seeing dissension between Ray Phoenix and Pac the last few weeks, where Pac wants to use the hammer, Pac wants to take the easy way out and get a win. Ray Phoenix does not want to do that. So I think that comes into play in this match as well. Okay, so for the first time on this card, I'm going to go in an opposite direction for what you do, because I think that Death Triangle is retaining the tag team titles on this pay-per-view. And the reason I believe that is a couple different things. One, I don't think whether... Whether or not the suspension of the elite was also a punishment, um, I, I don't know what the investigation found out. That's not my business. We're not talking about it until we really know about it. I don't think it sets a good precedent that you can get in a fight and come back and immediately win the titles back. And I think the elite are probably going to have to work themselves back up from the ground up. That being said, too, you were talking about the dissension between Pack and Ray Phoenix. I think this is going to be a situation where we're going to finally see the swerve, and I think we're going to actually see Ray Phoenix finally snap, join Pack, and attack the Elite in some way. Maybe it's the hammer again when the ref's not looking. He takes it away from Pack and then smashes somebody themselves. We all forget how good the Lucha Bros also were as heels a couple of years ago in AEW. They did a really good job as heels. I mean, Ray Phoenix just had to wrestle. They just let... Uh, pentagon and and alex abrahantes do all the talking but i i think we're gonna go in another direction i think you're gonna see a full-blown heel turn from the death triangle which i think is the best thing to do right now with the team like house of black out of the picture so 
I mean, there's got to be a heel team in the trios division, a major one, and I feel like Death Triangle is it is it at this point. So I'm actually I'm going to go ahead and say that the Death Triangle retained the trios World Championships. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because they have started airing vignettes for the House of Black, and it looks like their incoming return. I don't know if we're going to see that on this show. I don't know if it's going to be more towards the end of the year, beginning of 2023, but. We do know the House of Black is on their way back. Right, and we but we also don't know where they're going to be aligned when they come back because that, that's the one thing about pro wrestling and returns. You never know what side they're going to be aligned on until they're back. Right. So I'm going to go with the Death Triangle. You're going to go with the Elite. We'll agree to disagree. Moving on to the Steel Cage match between Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy Jack Perry. You know, at one point, this was my favorite feud going on in AEW. I feel like they should have gotten to this one-on-one match between these two a lot sooner. It's it's clear to me at this point, they're dragging this feud out until Christian Cage can return. Well, they're going to be dragging this feud out for a while then, if that's the case, because Christian Cage, he, I think he has a torn bicep, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was a torn bicep. That's like six month, eight-month recovery. That's... That's pretty much what Cody Rhodes had. I mean, right. I feel like they're just trying to drag it out as much as they can, though. But this this match does seem like with the steel cage match implication that it is probably the last match of the feud. I just I think they should have gotten to it a lot sooner than they did. I I just felt like this whole thing has been dragged out a little too much. And Luchasaurus has really kind of already gotten his big win, so I'm gonna say Jungle Boy wins this match. Yeah, and an interesting fact I just want to point out in all this, you know, that uh, Full Gear is in the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. This was the same building where Jurassic Express had won the AEW World Tag Team titles from the Lucha Bros back in January. On the first Dynamites, there's a little bit of emotion going into this match as well. Uh, I think with the Steel Cage, obviously it's there to keep Christian Cage out. I think Jungle Boy's jumping off this fucking cage at some point, whether it's onto Christian or onto Luchasaurus. I mean, of course he is. Yeah, he, he's he's fucking Jungle Boy Jack Perry. He's got to. But yeah, I'm going to say Jungle Boy uh, gets the win here. I don't know if this feud goes on a little bit longer after this, or I don't know if this is the end until Christian Cage is finally healed up and ready to go so they can do Jungle Boy and Christian Cage. But we'll see. All righty, I'm the same side again. Now, this match, this next one makes me groan a little bit, but I am also like the inner nostalgic in me is excited at the same time. We have Sting and Darby Allen taking on the team of Jay Lethal and Double J, Jeff Jarrett, the last outlaw, is returning to the ring at full gear to take on his old nemesis Sting with his partner Jay Lethal by his side and Sting's partner Darby Allen by his side. What do you think about Sting still wrestling? Okay, let me just say something. If you had told me, if you had told nine-year-old Justin when he's sitting there watching Bound for Glory 2006 and Jeff Jarrett and Sting are wrestling in the main event for the NWA world title, if you had told me, hey, in uh, in 16, what is it, 16, 17 years? I'm mm-hmm. not going to. It's 16 years, that's right. Uh, in 16 years, you're going to go to a pay-per-view in New Jersey and you're going to see Sting and Jeff Jarrett wrestle each other. I would have fucking laughed at you. And then you probably would have told me Tyrus is the NWA world champion in 16 years, and then I would have really fucking laughed at you. Because you would have been like, who the fuck is Tyrus? Right. Who who the fuck is Tyrus? Who's the Funkasaurus? I don't you know. You know, oddly enough, that's still what I say about Tyrus. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's crazy to see this even on a match graphic. I think the match will be fine, honestly. I mean, you have Jay Lethal in there. You have Darby Allen in there. 
Sting will jump off something. Jeff Jarrett really is still pretty good, a pretty good worker at his age and is in great shape for his his in-ring style during his matches really hasn't changed from what it was in TNA back in that time. Right. So I don't think this is going to be a bad match at all. I think it'll be fine, you know, as long as they don't drag it out, which I don't think they will. But this should be entertaining. The only reason that I think it might be a little difficult having Sting in the matches, generally the matches, the tag team matches that we've seen with Sting at AEW are either no disqualification, falls count anywhere, or like cinematic matches. So you get that opportunity to have Sting have his moment by jumping off of something. But this is just a standard tag team match. So are they going to, is the ref going to ignore the count, let Sting jump off of something outside of the ring, or are we just going to not see Sting in the match as much? I'm leaning more towards we don't see Sting in the match as much, and then you eventually get that stare down in that one spot with him and Jeff Jarrett going at it in the ring for a little bit. But then other than that, I have a feeling that it's going to be basically a two-on-one handicap match with Jeff Jarrett and and Jay Lethal just taking on Darby Allen. Yeah, I mean, Darby's going to be in the ring most of this match, guaranteed. He'll work with Lethal, he'll work with Jarrett. Sting will come in towards the end, just do his few spots. You know, Scorpion Deathlock, the Death Drop, the Stinger Splash, the Woo! Maybe jump off something, but, you know, that that's kind of how I see this match going, and th- that's fine by me. It, it's whatever. I think Sting and Darby get the win here no matter what, but... Again, we disagree, because I think that Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are going to pick up the victory. We've seen Sting and Darby, I feel like, win too many tag team matches together. And I don't see Jeff Jarrett losing on his first match in AEW. Granted, he's not like a young spry talent that really needs the victory. But if you're gonna if you're gonna cement this last outlaw character, he's got to get some heat behind him. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett win the match. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's it's easy. You have the ref looking the other way. Jeff Jarrett hits somebody with the guitar. He gets the pieces out of the ring. He covers. He gets the one, two, three, and then we hear one of my favorite theme songs ever my world yeah you know what else is funny is that you brought up seeing you know bound for glory sting and jeff jarrett facing each other and that was your childhood and it's funny for me because when i think about seeing jeff jarrett and sting in my childhood i'm thinking more of the end the ending days of wcw not like tna yes i watched tna when you did but like right. initial jeff jarrett sting for me was like towards the ending days of wcw so it's it's fun how the little generation gap works there. I mean, granted, I'm not that much older than you, but I have just enough years to where I would have seen the end of WCW. Right. So that's that's kind of cool in that aspect too. But like, if you had told me watching WCW in the late '90s that you know almost 20 or 30 years later, you're gonna I'm gonna fucking see Jeff Jarrett and staying in a pay per view match for a company that I've never heard of that WCW goes under and the, the the company that follows WCW is doing horrible. So they create a third company that's basically based off of old WCW, <laughs> and that we're seeing the two of them compete in a tag team match. I, I would have been like, "Am I on drugs? I'm I'm like I'm like six, but am I on drugs?" <laughs> It's just like Jeff, Jeff Jarrett never ages. I'm I've, I'm convinced of that. He looks the exact same way that he did 20 years ago, and I think that's because Jeff Jarrett's always looked like a wrinkly bastard. If you look at his face, he's always looked like he has a permanent skull. So his face doesn't really age because it was already 60 years old back when he was in his 30s. Yeah, and then the guy's like I said, he's in great fucking shape. He looked great at the you know the Ric Flair's last match show. Uh, the oh, match wasn't sure. great, but that was for other reasons. Oh, I mean that was because Rick had no place in a wrestling ring. Yeah, I mean, he almost fucking died. I mean, Christ. 
yeah, you'll you'll have that from Ric Flair though. So I'm going with the the double J team, Jeff and Jay, and you're going with the masquerade. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And you're going with the masquerade party. Masquerade party. (laughs) No, it's two dudes with attitudes, man. (laughs) Dude, I just the first time I saw that, Lee and I just were like what like that's already a thing not only is it already a thing but it was already a stable that sting was in right (laughs) whatever steal more from wcw it's all any anti uh, that's all any company that's not wwe can do because they can't talk about wwe unless you're mjf who just doesn't give a shit oh yeah he he does not give a shit or bully ray bully ray is not afraid to mention wwe on any television show either Right, and if you saw the uh, the MJF promo with Tony Khan that happened after Dynamite this past week, you'll know MJF does not give a shit. Nah, he loves WWE. He, he was so. dropping WWE bombs left and right. Well, I mean, John Cena is a real close friend of his, like we talked about last week, and he just loves the product. He's friends with a lot of guys that work there. He's done extra work for them in the past, so it's it's not like he's unfamiliar with the product. Right. But speaking of WWE, we have Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, former AEW Women's Champion, facing former WWE Women's Wrestler Page, now known as Soraya, and Soraya's return match. Bro, I gotta say, aside from the world title match, this is the match I'm most looking forward to. I've been a huge Page mark ever since her days in NXT, so Soraya finally being able to be cleared to come back to the ring. It's to me, it's like the the return of Daniel Bryan and Edge. Right. You know, like I said this a few months ago when Soraya, you know, when she first left OEB, I hope she has has the chance because we, we all kind of figured, you know, she was going to step into a ring at some point, whether it was for a major company or even her family's promotion in England. She was going to step into a ring. There was no way she was going out like that. Right. And I'm glad she gets to write, you know, the end of her stories. Everyone should have the chance to do that. Unfortunately, everyone doesn't. And she's going to get that chance. And I'm I'm happy for her, you know? Right. And at the same time, I can't I can't blame WWE for their stance on her when they didn't want to clear her. Because at least with the, with the situations like uh, Daniel Bryan and Edge, Brian Danielson, if you will. I'm, I'm calling him Daniel Bryan for the sake of the fact that this happened under the WWE banner at the time. Those guys took years and years off of their career. I mean, Paige is just getting to the point where it's been a few years now, and it's getting close to that time frame that Daniel Bryan had. But Edge, fuck, he had to wait 10, 11 years before being able to get back into the ring. And I I agree with WWE's medical protocol because it's not like they're just trying to bury people. They're trying to protect their well-being. They're trying to protect their lives. They, They have these... They have these medical protocols in place for a reason. I mean, ever since... I, we all know it was basically triggered by the the deaths of both Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Eddie with his past drug abuse and them basically wishing that they had kind of monitored his health a little more later on in life. And then obviously with the Benoit murder-suicide, the, uh, the concussion issues that went into play. Granted, let me make absolute note that we're in no way condoning those the actions that Chris Benoit did on that fateful day where he took the wife uh, the life of his wife and his son but from a medical standpoint if they had had a if they had had a wellness program in place at that point i think it is possible that he could have gotten some help before what happened happened and that's not on WWE it was just it was the business and how it was at the time so when it comes to Paige's sake i mean I can't blame them for telling her not to get back in the ring. She had a neck injury. You don't want to be the company that 
let somebody get back into the ring too soon. They break their neck and they die on live television. They've they've got liability that they have to hold on to too. So I get, from that standpoint, I can't blame WWE for doing what they did either. And let's let's acknowledge too. I mean, it was it wasn't just the one neck injury. It was the fact that I believe she has scoliosis as well, and you know, she had just come back a month before from a neck injury. Like to come back and then, you know, get injured a month later with a very similar injury, if not the same thing, you know, you got to be very cautious with that, especially when it's the neck. Right. And the first injury she had, she had surgery for it, didn't she? Yep. Yeah, I thought so, because she was out for the better part of like a year, year and a half. It was it was a big thing when it happened, because this was when she was with Del Rio, the first injury happened. And, you know, apparently it was going around, WB was saying, no, you're good, you don't need surgery, and she was insisting, like, yes, I do. And, you know, it was a it was a back and forth thing at the time. Yeah, so I can't blame them for their position on her, but she, she went and did the same thing that Edge and Daniel Bryan did. She took years, she took uh, the time, she did research um, certain professionals she should go to. She went to multiple doctors, she had multiple appointments, and she made sure that all of them said that she was cleared to go. That's the same thing that Edge and Daniel Bryan did. They didn't just say, I just want to do this and jump back in, in a ring. They, she, I'm assuming just like Daniel Bryan and Edge thought about her family. She might not have kids, but she thought about her family, thought about what it could do to them, thought about her livelihood, and she made sure that she was actually okay to wrestle. So a lot of people were saying when this match got announced that, oh, here's just AEW just putting on somebody with an injury, not giving a shit because they want to make money. But no, it it appears from Soraya's own Instagram posts and all that, that she did the work. She got cleared. And at that point, let her go out on her own terms. Yeah. And, you know, she she's brought her up in promos on TV the last few weeks. Uh, you know, she's been through a lot these last six, seven years or so. And. Like I said, I'm I'm glad she's getting her moment here. Right. Even if this isn't a complete full return to the ring, even if we're just going to get a couple matches here and there, glad she's able to go out on her own terms. And I'm glad that AEW did the smart thing and they put the dream match out first. Because that's one thing that WWE tends to not do is they'll try and get smaller matches. I mean, these people have these big return matches and these big returns. Um, for Edge's sake, I think the big the big match that I personally wanted to see that we ended up getting later down the line with Edge returning was Edge and Roman. I wanted to see the spear versus the spear. I'm glad that we got that, but I think that should have been one of the first matches they should have done back. We've seen Edge and Orton in the past. Um, same thing with Daniel Bryan returning. Everybody wanted to see Bryan in the Miz first because of that talking spack promo. We had to wait for that. And the problem I have with WWE on that end is that we've seen that with people that have returned from regular injuries before, and sometimes they take too long booking to get to those matches, and the people get injured again, and then you, th- that match is off the table. It's gone. It's done. There's nothing you could do. Same thing with Sting and Undertaker in WWE. If Sting had never gotten injured in that match with Seth Rollins, I don't think you can tell me that we wouldn't have gotten Sting versus Undertaker before either one of them retired. And you know what? That's, that's a, something that still bothers me. There's no reason that they couldn't have done Sting and Undertaker at that WrestleMania at 31 in Santa Clara, California. No, because we didn't need Undertaker Bray Wyatt yet. You could have done that. Why, why did we need Sting and Triple H? It just right. it bothers me. They should have done, in my opinion, they should have done Undertaker versus Sting, and you could have done Triple H and Bray Wyatt. You could have had Bray Wyatt turn you know, babyface a couple years earlier. Bray had enough fans behind him. And then you could have done Undertaker Bray Wyatt the next year instead of having that stupid ass Hell in a Cell match between Undertaker and Shane McMahon. Right. It's it just it's oh. yeah, it still bothers me a little bit to this day. 
But my point being is that WWE with returns, they sometimes take too long getting to the dream match that we want to see when people come back. And in some cases, sometimes you see people get injured and then their time in the ring is done. In Sting's case, that was a perfect example. So I'm glad that AEW pulled the fucking trigger and that we immediately are going with Soraya and Brett Baker because even when Soraya was in WWE, that's the dream match everybody's been talking about for years now. Yeah, I mean, look, th- this had to be Soraya's first match if she ended up being cleared and coming to AEW. They, it, it wouldn't have made, made any sense, you know, putting her against Tony Storm, putting her in a title match for her first match. It just, it wouldn't have worked. You can't put her up against fucking, you know, Anna Jay or the Bunny or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. You got to put her up against the the face of that women's division, you know. And Britain and Soraya, they have been, you know, teasing it on Twitter all year. You know, I want to wrestle Britt Baker. I want to wrestle Soraya. It, it's been a thing for a long time. It's been a thing since before Soraya even signed with AEW. It's been right. a thing since Soraya was still under contract with WWE. Right. This this had to be the first match. It absolutely had to be. That'd be like if hypothetically the New Day, you know, in a fantasy world, Big E is completely cleared. That'd be like in a, in a, a hypothetical fantasy world where New Day leaves the WWE and goes to AEW. The first match has to be New Day in the Elite. Right. So that's the one thing AEW seems to be good at is if they have a dream match in front of them, they get to it pretty quickly. You know, Punk came back to AEW and it didn't take long before we got Punk and MJF, which is something that everybody wanted. Didn't take long for them to get to Punk and Moxley. Granted, that ended up being a fucking shit show. You know, FTR and the Young Bucks is another one. FTR, again, yeah, FTR and the Young Bucks, they planted the seeds for that the night that they showed up. So that's one thing I'll always give my hat off to to AEW is that they, they, see these dream matches and that they go for it that being said there's no way soraya loses this match there's absolutely no way no and and you know what i will say the promo work between the two uh they have been physical but it hasn't been too much to the point where you know it soraya could possibly get injured before this because that would just be a nightmare and you know the last few weeks on dynamite have been great with them going back and forth which is ironic because remember that week after soraya debuted and they had that really awkward segment with the entire women's division that we bashed on here. <laughs> I still stand by the fact now that 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 was one hundred percent due to the hurricane and having to fucking they had to they had to come up with something and they had to change the segment at the last second. Yeah, because from that but... moment on, everything's been fine again. So we just we were living in the twilight zone for like a solid twenty minutes of one show. But I, I stand by the fact that that had to have been because of the hurricane that was affecting the area at the time. Yeah, I I said it back then. It's like everyone went out there and they had no clue what they were going to say and just fucking winged it. Yep, basically. But yeah, you were talking about the promo work for this show. And I would say that the promo work for Britt Baker and Soraya has been up there in the top tier of promo work in all of pro wrestling right now. I'd put it up there with Mox and MJF and I'd put it up there with anything, including the bloodline. Right. I did enjoy Britt's, uh, her line this week in, in her backstage segment where she went, yeah, I, you know, I haven't main event in Madison Square Garden, but I wrestled in Daly's place for a year during the pandemic, continuing to light the fire of pro wrestling while, you know, you weren't here. You weren't wrestling. You don't know what it's like to wrestle in the COVID era and with no fans and this, that, and the other. You know, it. it she's she's not wrong. She's no, she's not wrong. And that's the, I love when heels do that. I like when heels, instead of just being chicken shit and throwing insults, can actually throw logic into a situation too, because it makes the feud seem more real. And it doesn't just give this whole, nah, I don't like you, so I'm going to say bad things about you. You're like, nah, I've got an actual good point. I know people might not like me, but too fucking bad. Right. But so, yeah, there's, there's no way Soraya loses this match. 
Oh, no, no. Soraya is absolutely going over in this. But I am going to say this is going to be up there with the likes of the matches we've seen between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. I expect the same the same kind of violence in this match. It might not be, uh, you know, like a no disqualification match or anything like that, but this is going to be a good fucking match. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much Paige's, or excuse me, Soraya has been training going into this, so... We'll, we'll we'll see. I'm expecting something good. I mean, she had to have been training enough to cancel her appearance at the big event. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that. Oh, but we are because it's also been noted that Soraya recently canceled her appearance at the big event, stating that she is training for this match with Christopher Daniels. Justin, your 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 thoughts when you would uh, originally heard that she was training? I remember you told us in our little. Uh, or a little group chat, but why don't, why don't you reiterate that for the fans? Yeah, I'd like to move on to the next match, please. <laughs> Justin said, and I quote, shouldn't you have been training for this for like the last couple months since you Great. started with AEW? I just praised this woman for fucking 10 minutes, and now you make me look like a dick in 10 seconds. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, you're the one that said it, not me. But it's 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 interesting that she decided to cancel that. Justin said to me at this point, he's just going to show up to an AEW show with all of his figures and everything and be like, can you just sign these so I can move on? It's getting to that point, but anyway. But moving on to the next women's match, not as exciting. Don't really know why it's on the pay-per-view because it seems like this storyline has really only been being built on Rampage for the most part. But we have Jade Cargill taking on Nyla Rose for the AEW TBS Championship in a heel versus heel match that I really don't understand. Nyla stole the TBS Championship. Jade wants it back. There's a match now to get her championship back. They had to. It's one of those classic like this person stole the title, so now we have to have have a match because it's the only official way you can get your title that you already have back. Yeah, I, I don't know. It feels like they just keep throwing people at Jade just to get her closer to that 50 and 0 mark. Right, but hasn't with... hasn't she already faced Nyla Rose during that during this run? Honestly, I think Nyla Rose is like the one exception where she hasn't faced her before. Oh lord. So do you think Nyla Rose is gonna be the one that defeats her? No, you know that they're so close to fifty and O that I just don't foresee them having them or having Nyla Rose beat Jade Cargill in this match. Uh, another interesting fact, this is the same building Jade Cargill did win the TBS title back in January. So it is a full circle kind of moment here. My question is, though, is like a lot of these wins have been like underwhelming or wins that we haven't really seen because they've done on Rampage or whatever. What are they building to? What what in your mind, in your best case scenario, what do you think they're building to? OK, so I'll say this. I absolutely believe before she got injured. I think it was going to be Chris Statlander taking the title from Jade Cargill. Obviously, that's not happening now. Uh, I believe she has a torn ACL, so she's going to be out for a while. It's not like, a, you know, she'll be back before Jade hits 50-0 and 0 or anything. No, but she already has been out for a little while, so I feel like she's a decent way into her recovery. She had surgery know. a while ago. Cause she, she was out when she tore her other ACL. She was out for about a year, so... It it could be a long time before we see Chris Statlander again. But honestly, it's kind of going to spoil what I think about the other women's match. But I think Jamie Hayter is going to be the one to end up taking this title from Jade Cargill. Okay, I can see it. Do you think that involves a babyface turn? Or do you think Jade, I, I, Jade goes the babyface route? I, I think Jamie Hayter turn, goes babyface. I think she breaks away from Britt. Maybe they feud over the TBS title. 
And that that's where I see this going. New question. Is hmm. is Chris Stantlander the new Kevin Nash? Oof. But instead of quad but injuries, like, it's just MCL and ACL issues. I'd say she's more a Chris Sabin. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, he he's dealt with some MCL and ACL issues over the years. Yeah, he literally came back and then tore the other one like a month later. So (laughs) that just reminds me of when the pandemic first started. And originally, right before it started, we were that was when we were getting the the original return of the Motor City Machine Guns to impact. And then it was like Chris Saban got hurt. So then there was Alex Shelley and then and then Chris Saban came back. But Alex Shelley had to stay home because he had another job and a practice because of COVID. But then. Chris Saban got like injured again by the time Alex Shelley came back. So they had him and Kushida and then it was all three of them. It, it was like, it took forever for us to finally just get the Motor City machine guns back together. Right. It, it was like that around that time too, when Chris Saban got injured because so they did the machine guns. Saban got her, I believe he tore his ACL. And then it was just Shelley doing the singles thing for the year in the X division. Saban came back. They challenged for the tag titles and then a month later, Shelly was gone from the company completely. And then Saban went into the X Division as singles guy. Oh, yeah, because during that time frame that he was gone from the company completely, isn't that when him and Kushida did their thing in NXT? Uh, no, so this was this was in 20, 2011, 2012. This oh, you're, ta- you're talking about the original. Yeah, the, the original, oh, okay. like uh, the original Terror. Okay. Uh, and then Saban was a singles guy in the X Division for a few months, and they tore his ACL again in the other leg. Oh yeah, no, that was a, that was also during around the time too. I remember when they were both in the company where they both kept getting injured too. Right. So I I don't know what the fuck happened with the Motor City Machine Guns all these years, but <laughs> it's it's that X Division style, man. It's they they were the Young Bucks before the Young Bucks were the Young Bucks. They laid the, them along with the Hardys laid the path, laid the groundwork for the team of the Young Bucks. So you know they were doing a lot of that shit before the Young Bucks were, and I think it just caught up with them, but. Yeah, no, definitely she's the new Chris. She's definitely the new Chris Saban, and I I feel bad saying that because I love Chris Statlander. It's just when repeated injuries happen, sometimes jokes end up getting made in professional wrestling. Cough, cough, Kevin Nash, um, and it and he's and Kevin it... Kevin's a good sport about it though. He he makes the jokes about himself along with everybody else. Yeah, Ke- Kevin's Kevin's cool about it, and it it sucks for Statlander because it really felt like she was you know, kind of getting to that next level. And then she just got hurt on a fucking match on AEW Dark of all things. Well, and you know, if if uh, Jamie Hayter wins the title, uh, the TBS title at some point, she doesn't go heel. Eventually, Chris Statland returns. They've had a feud on and off for a while too. So you could go, you could go to that too. But for now, I'm going to say with you, Jay Cargill continues this reign. She's got to get to at least 50-0 because they're that close already. Uh, what do you think the Jade Cargill pay-per-view cosplay will be this month? Okay, so she's already done She-Hulk. Yep. She's done What's-Her-Name from X-Men. Yep. There are uh, somebody from Mortal Kombat. I'm not too, I can't remember who it was. Yeah, she did somebody from Mortal Kombat. I'm going to say, has she, aside from She-Hulk, has she done anything else Marvel-related? Uh... Not that I can remember, no. She did oh. Uh I feel like, and I don't want this to be, this is controversial even saying this, but I don't want this to be construed 
to be a race thing. Oh, but boy. with no, 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 it's more or less the fact that the previews for Black Panther 2 have just recently come out. It's a very hot topic in superheroes like DC, Marvel. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I can actually see that being the I, case. I, I could see her doing Black Panther, but I don't want to say that just because of the obvious. So I'm also going to give another option. I And Marvel's always a good choice because wrestlers tend to fucking love Marvel. But also, with Black Adam coming out recently too. Very possible. Could be something related to that. that that's got ties to wrestling too with The Rock being in it. I feel like we're going more superhero related as opposed to video game related. Um, so I'll, I'm gonna, I I think, I think she could rock like an amazing Black Panther cosplay. To be honest, I think so. I think that that's definitely the route she'll go down. <laughs> we'll see. I, I mean, either way, whatever she does is gonna be impressive because if if nothing else. You know, I've said her her over the years that her ring work needs to improve. It has improved, but if there's one thing that she's got over, I personally think any single person in the company, it's aura, charisma, and production. I don't think there's a single entrance in AEW that they put more production in to than Jade Cargill's entrance. From the camera angles that they use, the slow motion zoom-ups, they put the most work into Jade Cargill's entrance than just about anybody else on the roster. So right. no matter what, it's going to be a fucking banger of an entrance. Whatever she does end up doing, hopefully it's better than She-Hulk because you should probably just never wear full body green paint to the ring. It just doesn't end very well for anyone. Are you saying that for her case or were you just saying that because you're like everybody else who fucking hates She-Hulk? No, I I honestly never even watched She-Hulk, but I mean, it, it just never didn't come out good. The paint was just smeared all over the place. It It wasn't good. That's fair. So we'll see what happens there. The next match we have is the Fatal 4-Way match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. We have El Ocho, the most recent member of Masked Singer, Chris Jericho, the Pink Dragon, if you will, taking on Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, and Sammy Guevara for the Ring of Honor World Championship. I bet he was the pink dragon to poke fun at Brian Danielson. Oh yeah, probably. I'm, I'm a better dragon than you, motherfucker. I'm a you're you're an American dragon. I'm a I'm a pink dragon. Oh boy. And uh, you know, I sing. I what is it? Walk on the moon. Walk to the moon. Whatever the name of that band is that sings "Shut Up and Dance." Yeah. Which God, if I don't ever have to hear Chris Jericho sing that song again, I'll be the happiest motherfucker on planet Earth. Whoa, whoa. With me. And anyone who didn't realize that was fucking Chris Jericho under that mask, like, come on. I mean, not everybody knows him, though, but if you're a wrestling no. fan and you didn't realize it was him, you're a fucking idiot. Right. Christ, stick to your genre. His voice works for metal and rock and roll, but it is, it was not meant for that. Right. You think El Ocho retains here, or do you think we get a change of the Ring of Honor World Championship? Oh, I think Jericho retains. First off, this is going to be a great match. Everyone involved is just fantastic. We've seen what Sammy and uh, Brian can do. We've seen what Claudio and Jericho could do. To a degree, we've even seen what Claudio and Brian can do in, say, WBE. Uh, so this is going to be all around fantastic. But I think Jericho retains. Honestly, I'm really liking the, you know, the Ocho... 
I'm trying to kill Ring of Honor's past. This is the sports entertainment era. I, I do like what they're doing. Uh, it feels like it's kind of fell off in the last few weeks for some reason, but I think coming out of this match, we build something for the Ring of Honor pay-per-view for the main event. Uh, you know, whether it's Brian and Jericho again, I don't think they're going to do Claudio and Jericho. They, they, they could, because Claudio did get the, you know, the submission win on Jericho on Dynamite, but, uh, Sammy, I'm sure Jericho is expecting him to, you know, kind of just kind of eat a pin in this as I, I mean, I'm expecting Sammy to eat a fucking pin in this too, but uh, we, we may see a moment where Sammy is like, nah, I want this fucking title, man. But yeah, I think, I think this, this whole thing is to build to a main event for the next ring of honor show. Yeah. I'm going to go with you and I'm going to say that Chris Jericho retains, but what kind of world would it be? What kind of story could we set up? If somehow Sammy Guevara weasels himself into winning the Ring of Honor World Championship in this match, you have Jericho get taken out. Oh, like, say Claudio is already taken out from some big ass bump that they did. And then you've got Jericho and Brian in the ring, and they do a move that takes both of them out. And then Sammy just looks at both of them and goes, fuck it. And he pins one of them. And he becomes the Ring of Honor World Championship by doing nothing. This is similar to how I booked. Um, Austin Theory cashing in after Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, like wins the title, but not by not having to even do anything. The fans hate him so much. He'd be such a good heel ring of honor world champion at the same time. Well, here's the thing too. If they did go a direction like that, I would say, you know what? Hey, do, uh, do Sammy and Brian, but Brian has, when you think about it, three straight wins over Sammy Guevara. just, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, but I can watch Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara for the rest of my life, and it's always oh, going to no, be a no. good match. I might, I might disagree with Sammy Guevara's booking, but he's one of the best wrestlers on planet Earth right now. Yeah, Sam, Sammy's fantastic. He's just had a very shittier storytelling-wise. Yeah, and him and Brian have insane chemistry too, dude. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that could be good. I'm going to go with Chris Jericho. My dark horse pick is Sammy Guevara. I okay. don't, I don't see Brian Danielson or Claudia winning just yet i think if one of them is winning the ring of honor world championship which i i, I personally think brian danielson's gonna be the next ring of honor world champion most likely i think they're gonna save it until the ring of honor final battle pay-per-view yeah but just one more side note they get they got to wrap up this this jericho appreciation society blackpool combat club story this is this has been going on over six months now yeah it's it's, it's a little excessive now it's been it's been going on for a little too long. I mean, I'm I'm still okay because they're using different members of it. Moxley was in in it at some point. The the rest of the the gang was in it at some point. They had the anarchy in the arena match. So they've they've been able to give us fresh matches up until recently, up until probably the last couple of weeks. So I think now that we're seeing that we're starting to get to that point, now is the time to diet down. And I think I think final battle is probably a good resting place for this feud and i i think it's it's got to go to what is this going to be danielson if if they were to go danielson jericho would it be danielson jericho three or four uh it would be i want to say it'd be number three okay because they had to match it all out and then they had the match in albany on dynamite so yeah I it would be number three. Oh yeah. no 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 because no. they did it in uh they did toronto as, as well yeah so it'd be it would be four. four yeah so i i think i think Danielson and Jericho is where it should end because also I think it's about time that we put a goddamn title on Brian Danielson again. He, right. He's a he's a great champion. He always has been. 
um, regardless of the role that he's in. And I think he needs to have at least some title under the AEW Ring of Honor banner before he hangs up his boots. So I think Final Battle is a good resting place for it. And if if that is the, the direction they're going down this feud, Chris Jericho obviously wins. And I think we moved to Brian Daniels and Chris Jericho for the last time. Do we uh do we see any Daniel Garcia involvement in this match? Oh yeah. For yeah. sure. I think Daniel Garcia is gonna get involved, and then I think Wheeler Yuta is gonna get involved as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I think he'll take him out, and then I think that'll get rid of that. So Chris Jericho really for both of us. So moving on, we talked about Jamie Hader earlier. The next match is Jamie Hader versus Tony Storm for the interim AEW Women's World Championship. Before we talk about this, this might end up slowly becoming the actual um, undisputed AEW Women's World Championship. There's been talk that Tony Khan is thinking about um, essentially making Thunder Rosa relinquish the AEW Women's World Championship because it appears that with her injury, she may not be as back as soon as they would like. And that if they were to keep this whole interim champion going, that it it might be a lot longer before we see Thunder Rosa. Justin, what do you think about that? Yeah, if we we don't have any kind of timetable on Thunder Rosa's return, I mean, you know, Tony Storm's been champion for, what, three months now, the interim champion? Yeah. We still have no clue when we're going to have this, you know, undisputed unification title match. I'm personally not a fan of the interim championship anyway. You know, I I just feel like there's a champion, like you should be the only champion. There are certain exceptions to something like that. You know, if it's like a Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, and they do the ladder match, uh, because Shawn suspended and then Razor wins the title. Stuff like that I'm fine with. But if you have somebody out on an injury and you don't know when they're coming back, like they should be stripped of the title. There's no question about it to me. Yeah, I don't I don't mind it if it's an injury that you know they're not gonna be gone a super long time. I didn't mind it when they did it with Punk and Moxley. I didn't mind it when they did it with what was it, Sammy Guevara and then Cody Rhodes came back. You see, I hated it when they did it with Sammy and Cody because Cody really? was out for like two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was too little of a time frame, but I don't like it in the long term. I didn't mind it in WWE when they did the cruiserweight title with uh, Jordan Devlin and uh, oh God, what was JD McDonough's name before? You see that that was more of a it was, it was Jordan Devlin. Oh, Jordan, yeah, Jordan Devlin and Santos Escobar. Yeah, it, that was a different story because literally uh, Jordan Devlin couldn't even enter the country. To yeah, that. yeah, we had we had the issue of the pandemic at that time too, but they also set it up perfectly. I I personally think any interim championship match should always end in a ladder match. Shawn Michaels and Razor both set the standard for that. Right. But at this point, if we don't know when Thunder Rosa is coming back, I th- and it's nothing against her because give her a title shot as soon as she comes back. But I don't, I don't think we need to have the title of interim for the entire time that she's gone. If she's going to be gone for another six to eight months or whatever, you know what I mean? And we've had a lot of fucking interim champions this year. Like it's it's a little excessive now. Yeah, because that Cody Rhodes, Sammy Guevara thing we were talking about that was just earlier this year. Yeah, it was the beginning of the year. It's so weird to think that Cody Rhodes was in AEW early at the beginning of this year. Uh, it seems like such a long time ago. It is crazy how things work out. <laughs> like, got injured, was back, left the company, came to a new company, got injured again, is gone, is about to come back. Cody Rhodes is in one hell of a fucking year, brother. Yeah, he's had about as interesting a year as uh, Jeff Jarrett has. Yeah, I mean, really. But who do you think wins this one? Do you think we uh, see Tony Storm continue on, or do you think Jamie uh, Hayter ends up becoming the AEW Women's World Champion? 
I, I think it's Tony all the way here. I mean, they've, they've done a good job building Jamie Hayter so far. They have tried to put some kind of a story on it. You know, they were roommates during the pandemic era. And, you know, ever since Jamie had aligned herself with Britt and signed with AEW, she hasn't really, you know, even acknowledged Tony Storm. So they have tried to put some kind of story on this, which I can appreciate because they really didn't have to do that. But I don't think it's Jamie Hayter's time here. Like I said, I think I see Jamie Hayter more going after the TBS title and winning that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. I'm going to go with the same route. It just doesn't seem like that's the time for Jamie Hayter yet. She's in the middle of the, uh, like, they're building her up phase still. Right. And I think it does her better to get a better build before we actually get to that point. Yeah. So I'm going to go with you on that one. Um, Justin, I know this one's going to be one of your favorite matches of the night. You're wearing their t-shirt right now. We yes, have Swerve in our glory trying to retain, not retain, but regain the AEW World Tag Team Championship versus... The acclaimed with daddy ass Billy Gunn. Justin, everybody loves the acclaimed. Scissor me, Daddy Alex. That never that never gets old. And <laughs> I, I just I also just love the enthusiasm that you have every single time that you say it. Scissor me. <laughs> so yeah, the acclaim's not losing. <laughs> No, uh, it is important to note that it was reported there may be an injury to Anthony Bowens, uh, unknown at this time. It's unknown if it was more of, you know, just something to build it to in the match, uh, or if he actually does have an injury, because he does have a history of that, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I still don't see the acclaim losing. I think this is this is going to be the acclaim retaining, and then we'll get the, the turn from, or the full-on turn, because we know Swerve has been more of a heel the last few weeks. Uh, and that that will be the end of Swerve in our glory, and Keith Lee and Swerve will break off into a singles feud of their own. Oh, so you think that it's going to be more of a um a, a turn from Strickland's standpoint where he turns on Keith Lee? Yeah, because if you look at Keith Lee, I mean, it, it was when they retained it all out and they beat the Acclaim the first time, it was more Keith Lee's idea where it's like, hey, let's, let's you know, give him another match. Let's give him their props, and Swerve's like, nah, man, we we beat them. There, there's no fucking reason for us to face them again. And, you know, that kind of led to the match at Grand Slam, and the Acclaim won the titles, and, you know, Swerve's been the heel throughout all this, so. Okay. See, where I was going to go from is I was going to say maybe we see the complete heel turn of Keith Lee, and then they're both just set as a heel tag team. But either way, this is more storytelling, I feel like, for Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland than it really is going to be about the acclaim. It's Swerve and Our Glory moving forward. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna also say that the acclaim keeps the win here. Yeah, absolutely. And then we will scissor another day. Scissor me softly, brother. I fucking love that. Moving <laughs> on, we have the main event of the show. We have John Moxley taking on MJF for the AEW World Championship. MJF is cashing in his casino ladder poker chip for a shot at the world title. Justin, you've got so much to say about this match. Let it loose. I am so fucking hyped for this match. I'm so excited. Hopefully this cashing goes better for MJF than Austin Austin Fury's cashing went for him. But uh yeah, like I said, like I said with Britain Soraya, the promo work with John Moxley and 
MJF for the last few months has just been fantastic. Uh, obviously, it was going to be CM Punk for this slot, but we we all know what happened with that. Uh, Moxley's just been carrying the company on his back for the last, I, I'd say, since the beginning of the summer at least. Uh, and, you know, the story with, you know, Regal and MJF, and Regal doesn't think MJF is has it in him to be a, a true villain in wrestling, and MJF is, wants Moxley to be 110%, so there's no excuses when he beats him. Uh, you know, you still have the factor with the firm in there, uh, whether they're going to play a part in this, uh, like we, we saw them turn on MJF a few weeks ago on dynamite. And, uh, I think I I've spoken to you about this, Alex, how I think this is going down. I think there's no fucking way MJF does not walk out of the Prudential center with them to AEW world heavyweight championship. I think you're getting a new champion on this show. Absolutely. Uh, whether it's a full-on heel turn, we, we discussed this last week too, whether it's a full-on heel turn and he was with the firm the entire time, or we we get his career-defining moment where he fucking pulls, John Mosley pulls the guts out of him and he has the best match that he has ever had. Not to say that any MGF match is ever bad because we all know that not to be true. Whether he goes heel or baby face he's got to walk out of this match with the AEW world championship this is either going to be his big heel moment where he was with the firm the entire time or we're going to get like a cm puck-esque uh money in the bank victory in 2011 where he was kind of the heel going in but he becomes out of that match as the absolute face of the company and takes the fans behind him last week you were talking about how you thought he was still going to be with the firm no matter what I'm starting to think the other way now, especially after the promo that MJF cut off the air after AW Dynamite went off the air, because you kind of know where people stand a little more with some of the promos that they make after they're not on the air. And MJF was basically pandering to the crowd. He was talking, saying all oh, these he, great things. Yeah, he was full babyface. Yeah, full babyface. He was saying all these great things about Tony Khan. And I, I, I would have to think that they were doing that to kind of judge what the fan perspective would be if if they want with that. Because why else would they do that, even if it is off the air? Why else would they just choose right then and there to do that unless they're testing the waters for MJF to be the next big baby face of the company? Look, I said it's it's very possible that MJF is just fucking with everyone. And this is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled, as he's been saying for the longest time. Uh, something I've heard a bit from a few people... Do you think we get a swerve with William Regal here and he costs Moxley a title and helps MJF? Ooh, I didn't think of that. It's possible, I think. I don't know if it's the route I mean, they're going to go down. I mean, it's professional wrestling. Anything is possible. I right. I didn't even think of that because like, if you, if you don't want to go the route of this whole thing with the firm being a swerve and you know that it, he actually does fucking hate them, but you want to keep MJF as a heel... What better way to take the mentor of the Blackpool Combat Club and you put William Regal with MJF? That could be genius because what other man is there? What other manager is there to make you one of the most hated heels on the entire roster than Sir William Regal? Right. And it's not to say, like, MJF obviously doesn't need a manager. He doesn't need a mouthpiece or anything. He's fantastic how he is right now. But if they do want to go with that swerve and... You know, have Regal join up with MJF. I'm I'm fine with that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, MJF's been saying for weeks, you know, I'm not I don't need to use my dynamite diamond ring to beat you, John. But wouldn't it be some shit 
if he uses a pair of brass knucks to fucking knock John Moxley out and pin him. And you look back at the replay and you see that William Regal handed them to him. Right. And also, here's another thing. In a hypothetical world where William Regal is physically okay enough to have one last match. Dude, I was surprised he got physical on Dynamite. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. If if he has it in him to physically and medically compete in one last match, what other match is there to do than either the you know, he turns on the Blackpool Combat Club. What match is there to do than either William Regal and Brian Danielson or William Regal and John Moxley? Right. And also that would set up perfectly too if Brian Danielson goes after the AEW World Championship too. You get that you get that um that history between him and William Regal between WWE and the Blackpool Combat Club. And you also finally get the dream match of Brian Danielson and MJF, which everybody's basically been wanting ever since MJF came about and was compared to the Miz. Right. And what people are most pointing to is, you know, Moxley's been doing these promos on TV in the ring, and you'd kind of see William Regal in the background. He has those eyes where it's like, oh, motherfucker, you don't know what's coming. It's you never know one with William Regal. It's right. he's a flip of the diamond. He's a game changer in this business. So I honestly think I I would uh, of all three options, I think that could be the most fun to go with. Definitely be the most intriguing. Absolutely for sure. You you would definitely have more people tuning in to figure out what the fuck's going to happen at that point, and you you could do some great storytelling for months on end after that. Right. I kind of want that now. <laughs> I kind of want that. I think that could be fucking dope, dude. If if that happens, you're gonna be the first person I message, and I'm gonna be losing my shit. Oh, I'm gonna be in the building losing my shit. <laughs> True, good point. You'll see it probably before it'll get to the pay per view on our end. So if that happens, you message me as soon as it happens. Uh, I can't speak for the Wi Fi at the Prudential Center, but I will try my best. <laughs> that's fair enough, and that's all I can ask for you. But we're both gonna go out on a limb, and we are gonna say that MJF walks away the AEW World Champion at full gear. Absolutely. New champion here, no matter what, I think. Good, good. Glad we ended it on a good note. We're going to keep ending it on a good note. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for you tonight, and we are going to go ahead. We are going to do our shameless plugs, as Lee would like to call them. If you would like to check us out on social media, go to Perched on the Top Rope on Facebook. You can find us at Perched Top Rope on Twitter. You can find us at Perched on the Top Rope Podcast on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok, where Lee and I have started doing a bunch of different videos, so I can stop listening to him talk about Kevin Sullivan getting humped by a goddamn dog every single week. He's still going to do it, but I'm going to try and give us more content so that way eventually he doesn't have to other than that you can also listen to our podcast or youtube page perched on the top rope on youtube podcast you can find us on apple you can find us on spotify you can find us on stitcher you can find us on audible you can find us on google you can find us on red circle pod bay pod bean anywhere you name it if you can't find it i've always told you guys every week come and find me i'll add it to whatever platform you listen to your podcast on And Justin, that being said, spoiler-free is the way to be. We're out.